Divine Healing. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 7. Father, I thank you that you teach and train us more of what it really means in our personal lives to worship you daily and to, to praise you daily, Father, so that so many, so many doors can be unlocked for our lives. Now, Father, as we look into healing today and, uh, and consider more of your word, Father, and what it means to really believe that you are well able and willing to do what you said you would do in this area. Father, we're asking that you would anoint us to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Father, I'm praying that you might anoint me afresh. Please, Father, that from the bottom of my heart, Father, my desire is that you would use this tongue of mine, this mouth of mine, that it wouldn't allow foolishness or anything to come out that's not glorifying to you, but that you would help me connect words together, that I might hear the voice of the Good Shepherd for myself, that I might have the mind of Christ, Father, that I might be able to speak the things that you want me to speak today so that your children, your sons, your daughters might be quickened, might be made alive by the Word of God, that faith might arise in their hearts, Lord. And so we approach your Word very reverently, Lord. We really do. We approach these truths very reverently. And we acknowledge, Father, that it is indeed the Word of God that we're looking into. It's not the Word of man. It's not the Word of man. It, this is the Word of God that you said would endure forever. You said that heaven and earth would pass away, but your Word would never pass away. Lord, that's an incredible statement. So we ask you to help us hide this Word in our heart and, and allow the strength and the truth and the life that proceeds from your word to just invade our own lives and take over our thinking that our thoughts might become your thoughts, and that we might walk in the way that you want us to walk. So I trust you to help us today, Father, as we look into these things. And we ask for this help in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I want you, if you have your notes, to turn to where it's going to say lesson four. Again, I don't know what page that will be for yourselves, where it basically says healing the will of God. Um, but as you turn there, I'm going to read just another portion from F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer. Uh, like I have shared with you many times, this book is one of the most important books you could ever have in your library, just because of the strength of the spirit of faith that's on it. So I'm going to read basically a couple of pages here, just to kind of put us in the, in the sense of what we're going to look at. So this is from Christ the Healer. This is from his chapter on how to appropriate, the name of the chapter is how to appropriate the redemptive and the covenant blessing of bodily healing. It's on page 96 is where I'm going to start. But anyhow, let me just start to read. If you would really, really listen to this now. So listen with your, with your spirit and just, just listen. I mean, don't get distracted. Substitution without union is not sufficient for our possession and enjoyment of the life of the vine that we're connected to. If you need a miracle, get in tune with the miracle worker. 
We enjoy the life of the vine by our perfect union with the vine. Asking for healing while refusing to be led by the Spirit is like asking a carpenter to repair the house but refusing to let him in the house. <laughs> as many as touched him were made perfectly whole. You cannot touch him with a reservation. Like the woman who pressed through the throng and touched him, you must elbow selfishness, disobedience, unconfessed sins, lukewarmness, public opinion, traditions of men, articles written against divine healing. You must elbow all these things out of your way. In fact, you must often press beyond your own pastor who may be unenlightened in this part of the gospel. Press beyond doubts, double-mindedness, symptoms, feelings, and the lying serpent. The Holy Spirit who is sent to execute for us the blessings of redemption is our paraclete or our helper. He is ready to help us press through and beyond all of these obstacles to the place where we can touch Jesus for our needs. God is waiting to pour out the Holy Spirit in fullness upon us. He comes as Christ's executive to execute for us all the blessings provided by Calvary. These blessings are pledged to us in his seven redemptive and covenant names. It is still true that as many as touch him are made whole. How do we touch him? By believing his promise. This is an infallible way of touching Christ for anything that he has promised. We touch him by asking and believing that he hears our prayers when we pray. When the woman touched him, it was her faith that made her whole. This was not a mere physical touch for quote, it is the spirit that quickeneth or gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Millions of sinners have thus touched him for the yet greater miracle of the new birth. As the sick touched him and were made whole when Christ walked on the earth, so now it is the privilege of all to actually touch him. The touch now unites us to Christ in a closer union than it did then. But this is not mere contact, but union as real as the branch and the vine. All that is in the vine, all that is in the vine, including both spiritual and physical life, belongs to us, the branches. I mean, that's so simple, but it made so much sense. The touch by faith can now bring us under the full control of the Holy Spirit as it could not do during Christ's earthly ministry for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. He is the miracle worker. Jesus is not less a savior and healer since being glorified, he is greater. The privilege of touching him now is much greater than when he was here in person because more can now be received by the touch. From God's right hand, he has more to give. He said, quote, it is expedient or profitable. It's going to be better for you when I go away. He went away to send his spirit. Since the spirit comes to reveal Christ as he could not be revealed before he went away, why cannot we approach him for healing with at least as much faith as those who thronged him in that day? The foregoing shows the great importance of being right with God before asking for healing. The blessing of being right with God is a thousand times more desirable and enjoyable than the healing itself. 
I have seen the afflicted in body radiantly happy, but sinners who were in perfect health have been so unhappy as to want to commit suicide. We now, make it, we now endeavor to make plain how to appropriate healing. Getting things from God is like playing checkers. Now, you know what checkers is. Over here, they call it what? Draughts. Is that correct? Drafts? Drafts? Checkers. Drafts. Drafts. I can't say it. Drafts. We will now endeavor to make plain how to appropriate healing. Getting things from God is like playing checkers. After one person moves, really listen to this. Again, it's so simple. After one person moves, he has nothing to do until the other player moves. Each man moves in his own turn. So when God has provided healing or any other blessing and sent us his word, it's our move before he will move again. Our move is to expect what he promises when we pray. This will cause us to act our faith before we see the healing. The healing comes in the next move, which is God's move. But God never moves out of turn, but he always moves when it is his turn. I love this next few bits because it's just so simple. God help us hear this. When Noah, because this is the pattern all through scripture now, when Noah was quote, warned of God of things not seen as yet, his move was to believe that the flood was coming. He acted his faith by building the ship on dry land. So when God says to quote any sick, that the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up, you like Noah are informed by God of things not seen as yet. Your move is the same as Noah's, which is to believe and act Accordingly, fallen nature is governed by what it sees, by its senses, but faith is governed by the pure word of God and is nothing less than expecting God to do what he promises. It is treating him like an honest being. But by expectation, now really listen to this part, but by expectation, I do not mean hope. One writer has well said, we hope for what may be possible, but we expect for what must be possible. Yes. With that expectancy that shuts out doubt or fear of failure and shows unshakable confidence. Faith never waits to see before it believes. It cometh by hearing about things not seen as yet. It is the evidence of things not seen. All that a man of faith needs to know that God, all that a man of faith needs is to know that God has spoken. This imparts perfect certainty to the soul. Thus saith the Lord settles everything. It is written is all that faith needs. Faith always blows the ram's horn before, not after the walls are down. Now he's talking about Jericho. But again, think about it. All through scripture, that's the way it is. Faith always blows the ram's horn before, not after the walls are down. Faith never judges according to the sight of the eyes. It is the evidence of things not seen but promised. Faith rests on far more solid ground 
Faith rests on far more certain and solid ground than the evidence of the senses. It is the word of God which abideth forever. Our senses may deceive us, but God's word never will deceive us. When the little girl is promised a new dress next Saturday, faith is the actual expectation that she has and manifests itself between now and Saturday. When Saturday comes and she sees the new dress, faith for the new dress stops. Because real faith always has corresponding actions. The little girl, because of her faith, claps her hands and says, goody, goody, I'm gonna have a new dress next Saturday. And she will run to tell her playmate that she has the answer to her request. Jesus at the grave of Lazarus looked up and said, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast heard me. Lazarus was still dead. The little girl is not afraid to testify in advance that she is to have a new dress. When her playmates say, how do you know you are? She confidently replies, mama has promised me. Now you have a better reason for expecting healing than the little girl has for expecting a new, a new dress because the mother may die before Saturday, but God cannot. The mother can lie, but God cannot. The house may burn down with the mother's money, God's house will not. Every case of faith in history was a well-grounded assurance that was produced by the promise of God alone. It was acted upon before there was anything visible to encourage the assurance as with the little girl between now and Saturday. Faith looks not at the things that are seen. There was no flood in sight when Noah built his ark. Stone walls had never before fallen down at the blowing of ram's horns and shouting. They were merely expecting what God promised. When they acted their faith by blowing the ram's horn while the walls were still up, this was their move. Then of course, God moved in his turn and down came the walls. The entire 11th chapter of Hebrews is written to show us how each one who had faith acted, quote, between now and Saturday. God is so well pleased with the actings of faith that he has listed in detail many cases in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. By faith, Noah acted so-and-so. By faith, Jacob acted so-and-so. By faith, Moses acted so-and-so. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Abraham acted so-and-so when everything seemed contrary to what God had promised. It was by considering the promise of God, not her barrenness, that Sarah received strength to become a mother when she was past age. These all acted with nothing but the word of God as their reason for expecting the thing he had promised. It is the same with every case of faith in history. Jonah's symptoms were very real when he was inside the fish and he did not deny them, but he called them lying vanities. In other words, any symptoms that make us doubt the fact that God is plenteous in mercy to all that call upon him should be regarded as lying vanities. Jonah said, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Instead of listening to Satan and watching our symptoms, we must be workers together with God who heals by sending his word and keeping it. We must cooperate with him by being occupied, not with what the devil says, but being occupied with the word that he sends for our healing. 
Uh, praise God. Well, we could read the whole book, couldn't we? <laughs> Anyhow, this is why I want pe- every one of you, everybody you know should own that Christ to hear. There's just so much there. And I wanted to read that so that we can get ourselves in gear. Now, like I said, we're on lesson four here and we're just going to go through seemingly some very simple things here, but we need to speak it anyhow. So it says healing will of God until a person seeking healing, I'm reading from my notes now, until a person seeking healing is sure, everybody say sure, until a person seeking healing is sure from God's word that it is God's will to heal him, he's trying to reap a harvest where there is no seed planted. It's impossible for a farmer to have faith for a harvest where there's no seed planted. Many, instead of saying, pray for me, should first say, teach me God's word so that I can intelligently cooperate for my recovery. Our attitude towards sickness should be the same as our attitude towards sin. You should want to shun sickness as much as you want to shun sin. Now this is just a phrase from an old song of yesteryear. Sin and sickness have passed from me to Calvary. Salvation and health have passed from Calvary to me. Now at point A, let's just go over this again. You know it, but we need to read it. Jesus Christ was God's will in action. Amen? Amen? I mean, we see it all through scripture, but let's read them anyhow. Jesus was constantly healing people. We know throughout scripture, we're going to read some of them everywhere he went. Now, but remember what we just said amen to. Amen means so be it. We just said amen to the fact that Jesus Christ was the will of God seen on earth categorically. And everywhere that he went, the Bible says he taught and preached the kingdom of God and he healed all the sick. And then he said these words about seeing me. Now here, just a few of the verses, John chapter eight, verse 28 to 29. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then shall you know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father hath taught me, I speak these things and he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone for I do always those things that please him. Now think about when you read those scriptures, like I just said, everywhere he went, he healed the sick. I mean, there's no way anybody can intelligently argue otherwise. He said here, I do the things that please my father. So I'm just trying to say, we have to be sure this is why I have that first sentence. Until a person seeking healing is sure. We need to have not a hope so, like we read in Bosworth's book. Not I hope, because remember, even the Greek word for help, for hope rather, is the word elpis, E-L-P-I-S, and it means literally, quote, a joyful, ex- a joy- well, it even uses the word expectation, but it's not expectation. It says a joyful expectation of the future. But hope by itself doesn't have substance. Remember the basic truth about Hebrews 11.1 1 is, Faith is the substance. Faith is what has spiritual substance. Faith gives substance to things that are hoped for. Do you hear that? I mean, see, we can quote it so easily, but really at some point, your life, my life, I, you, all of us must understand the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It's literally a command. It's not a request. It's not something that you can negotiate with as far as heaven is concerned. 
I mean, the only way if you are legitimately saved that you're saved is that you believe in something that you've never seen and you've confessed something that you've never seen. You haven't, you're not in heaven yet. You're in London. <laughs> you're in London. And yet your true home is in heaven and you will be there one day. And we openly confess it. We openly declare it to people. We tell people we're saved and some of us don't act real saved, but we're saved anyhow. And we can do that. We can do that with faith. And we have to see what he's saying here. Jesus Christ said, I only do those things that please the Father. And everywhere he went, he was healing the sick. So we have to really say, okay, wait a second. I'm gonna divorce myself again from my emotions about this, from my, even my personal experiencing. Again, I, I just so want us to get that. I remember my spiritual father telling that this, when he was trying to pray, when he went to pray for this woman who came up in the prayer line, and he couldn't, he, he was trying to communicate to her that you need to believe right now that Jesus Christ, that the Word of God, uh, that God's done what he said he would do, that Jesus actually took our infirmities, that he bore our sicknesses, and that he went to that cross to not only pay for the penalties of our sins, but to pay, well, part of the penalty for sin was again, like we talked about last week, that sickness and disease had the right to come into the earth and torment anybody and everybody. And she said, well, and he was trying to get her to quote unquote, believe that she received, you know, like Mark 11, 23, 24, believe that you receive when you pray. So he prayed for her and said, how, you know, how so? And she said, well, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm, I get healed. And he said, no, you need to say right now, I am the healed of the Lord. She said, well, I can't praise God for being, oh, he said, you need to praise God right now that you're the healed of the Lord. And she said, well, I can't say that because I'm not healed yet. I still feel the pain. And they went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, he said this to her. He said, well, can you praise God? Can you do this with a sure heart? Can you praise God that God's word is true? And she said, well, yeah, I can do that. And she said, and he had her just read the scripture. He said, well, then read this scripture. So she read 1 Peter 2.24, you know, who his own self bore our sin on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Now he said, can you just praise God and say, Father, I thank you that your word is true. And she said, yep. And he said, okay, now say that scripture then because that's, is that God's word? She said, yes, it is. And he said, then just praise God, not about the fact that you feel healed, but can you praise God because his word is true. Because you said you believe his word is true. Can you just start praising God that his word is true and that it's yes and amen? So she said, yeah. And so she said, okay, Father, I praise you that this scripture is true because it's the word of God. I praise you, Father. I'm gonna just praise and, and say, thank you, Lord. This word is true. Jesus Christ, who his own self knew no sin, he became sin. He hung on a tree and he became sin. And by his stripes, we were healed. And he said, and the moment she started to say that, she started to praise God that God's word was true. Suddenly the healing manifested in her body. And, and, and she was healed right there in front of the whole, whole conference. And, and it, just, it just, it was amazing to watch it and to see it. But again, you see, somehow this is why I keep saying, listen, 
I, I know a little bit about how people feel, and I know what it's like when I feel, but what you have to do, like I keep sharing, is there's, and it's not, you see, lying. It's not like, like Bosworth said. It's like Jonah didn't deny the fact. But he understood that the facts, what he called them, were lying vanities. And that's in Jonah 3. I used to preach on that years ago. And it says, again, he that observes lying vanities forsake their own mercy. In other words, if you keep looking at emptiness, at the empty things, at the things that don't have the substance that God's word has, it says that you become your worst enemy and you wind up doing something that causes the very mercy that's there for you to be forsaken. You forsake. They forsake their own mercies. Incredible thing. So again, whatever it takes, you have to, like I keep using, I hate to use the word divorce, but I don't know what else it is. You have to separate yourself from your personal conflict and start by acknowledging truth. Not giving more credence and more attention to the facts. That's not lying to do so. That's faith. It's just going to this book and saying, Regardless of how I feel right now, regardless of how my leg feels, my hip would feel, your body would feel, your heart feels, your head feels, all I want to do right now, Lord, is bless you and bless your holy name that your word is true. Hallelujah. I just want to take some time and worship you this morning and say thank you that the word of God is true. Jesus Christ himself, it says, took my infirmities and bear my sicknesses. Now that's your word. So I want to praise you right now that that's true. That's true. Matthew 8, 30. It's true. You took my infirmities. You bore my sicknesses. In other words, you see, you're not even saying, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. You're just praising God that God's word is true. And if you can even just start there, you see, the spirit of God goes to work then. Because the spirit of God always works in connection with God's word. Remember, that's the whole thing when we teach on that about how he gathers God's word and uses God's word as fuel to create with. And you have to ask yourself, what are you giving the Holy Spirit to work with? Because he today, remember Jesus is at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that's with us right now. He's within us and he's around us. But he needs fuel to start a fire. <laughs> he needs fuel to work with. And that fuel is you knowing what God's promised and you releasing faith in it. That's what allows the Holy Spirit to enter into motion and begin to start working this thing out. Now, it's the same in any area. And again, Jesus said, you've got to be as little children. Remember? We talked about it last week. He said it. I did. You have, but again, see, this mind of ours, this intellectual organ up here, defeats faith so quickly because we lean to our own understanding more than we lean onto the Word of God. That's why I love the Amplified Bible. Every time you see the word faith in the New Testament in particular, it says faith, and then it has in parentheses, the leaning of the entire human personality upon God with absolute confidence and trust. And I like the fact that you just have to lean. I mean, you have to lean into it. But again, I, all I know is this is like he said in the book there and like all through scripture, every single thing that God applauded as an act of faith, 
was something to do with people believing promises before there was any physical evidence. That's just the Bible. That's not somebody's faith teaching. That's the teaching of faith that is in the Bible. So we again are called to imitate these great men and great women and imitate God himself who calls those things that be not as though they were. I mean, uh, that's what it teaches. And all I know is those who start doing it until it's a lifestyle, you see, because God is not a man that he should lie, they begin to have the manifestations of what God has promised. But this is why it's a daily thing. You keep the word of God in your mouth. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That thou shalt meditate there in day and night. And again, you know, one of the things I ask people a lot is this. What are you reading right now? What are you reading right now? Because I'm telling you, you must, you must be a reader. And I mean, you must read. Uh, you know, it's, if nothing else, it'll help you get into reading the Bible easier. But what are you reading right now? In other words, what are you feeding your spirit right now? I mean, right now, what are you reading? What book do you have next to your chair right now or next to your bed stand or something like that? Because every single one of you, if you really do want to go forward, then I would challenge you if you're not already, you need to be reading something every day, something. There is not a day of my life, I could, I could well, there's probably been a couple. <laughs> But there's not a day that I don't, I'm not reading something that's inspiring my faith. I have to, uh, because there's so much unbelief on television. There's so much unbelief everywhere you go. I have to stay connected to something that lines up with God and with the kingdom that I'm really part of. But all I know is that you have to discipline yourself. You must read. So ask yourself a question. What am I reading right now? And if you're not reading something right now, start reading something right now. If you need a suggestion, call my office. <laughs> I guarantee I'll give you a lot of suggestions. But like I said, this book right here is enough to keep you going for the rest of your life. So Jesus was God's will in action. Back on the outline. Now, in point three, John chapter nine, verses one through seven in the King James. I'm just reading from the outline again. Let's just make sure we're seeing that this is what Jesus was doing, that it was the will of the Father. Healing was the will of the Father. Here in verse one of John chapter nine, it says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. We'll speak more about that later. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. And like I had down there in point A, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. And then immediately he turned and he healed. He healed this blind man. So all we're trying to say again is you must listen. You say, well, I've already accepted that. Well, good. But accept it anyhow some more. <laughs> that it's the works of God to heal the sick. Point four, John 14, 10 and 11. Jesus said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father 
And the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he doeth the works. And that actually is referring to the Spirit of God. But the point is, even with that, I love that because Jesus himself, remember like you've heard me share and, and discuss in other courses that Jesus Christ really worked no miracles that the Father did. Or that, well, you know, that the Father, the Spirit of God didn't. Jesus was a man, remember, possessed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like you and I are men and women filled with the same Holy Spirit that he was filled with. And Jesus Christ himself, again in scripture, it's interesting to know that he never accepted praise. He always channeled the praise back to his Father. But even here he says, it's the Father that dwells in me. Now think about the Son of God's on earth and he's looking at people and he's saying to them, it's the Father who dwells in me that does these things. Well, you see, it's the Spirit of God that dwells in you that does these things. Hallelujah. It's the Spirit of God. No man has the power, like I said, to heal anybody. You know what I mean? Not, not supernatural healing. I mean, they may, doctors have skills where they can aid the body. But remember, even that, a good doctor would tell you that they can't heal anybody. They aid, whatever they do, they aid the body in its own healing process. I mean, every human cell, blood, every human cell, you know, but the body has its own, immediately, think of it, I mean immediately the body goes to work to fight anything that comes against it, immediately. God made it that way. I mean, he made it that way. And so we're to cooperate with it and understand that that's just the way it is. Now, um, yep, yeah, he said, it's the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. I'll turn the next page, point five, Hebrews 10, nine. Like I said, I'm just going to move kind of quickly through this. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And I mean, again, we're just establishing, you see, we're trying to create surety in your spirits. I came to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, speaking about the other covenants. Point being, of course, Jesus Christ is the word. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now really listen to it. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything, was not anything made that was made. Well, who's Him? Well, Him is Jesus. But who does Jesus equate Himself with here? The Word. I mean, so if you can just be again like a little child and understand, when you actually take a scripture, I mean, you know what I used to do, seriously, I would write a healing scripture down on a piece of paper, and, I, and again, being childlike, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and I would look at that thing on a piece of paper and say, this is God's Word, and it says in John 1, 1, 2, and 3, that the Word is God, was God, however you want to say it. But I would take that piece of paper and I would take that piece of paper and put it on my body. Or I'd put, I just put it right on me because I, I wanted God. <laughs> I was going in every direction I could. I wanted God in me, on me, around me, whatever. But I would apply God's Word to my life, literally. I would take it like a plaster, as they say over here. <laughs> And just put it on me and have God's word there, which is exactly what God had the Jews do with the phylacteries up here and the things around their arms that, they, that the Hasidic Jews still wear. But the point is, catch that. When you take God's 
word. When you believe the word, see, I hesitate because again, it's so simplistic that you can miss it. When you believe the word, the promise, you're believing God. When you put the word in your mind, when you renew your mind with the word, you're renewing your minds with God. When you keep feeding your inner man, the hidden man of the heart, when you keep feeding your spirit, like I said, and feeding your spirit and feeding your spirit the word of God, you're imbibing more and more of God. And again, where God is, anything of the devil can't remain. And we're supposed to, again, let the word of God dwell richly in us, we're admonished in scripture, okay? So again, these verses that are so simple, don't just skim over them and let them mean nothing but something you can quote easily. Look into them, think about them, be like a little child and say, I'm gonna apply the word of God to this situation, whether it be my body, whether it be my finances, whether it be my relationship or my business or whatever, I, I need God's word in this thing. And I, again, you do it, you, you know, like I always say, the scripture says in Romans, hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God, practice it as in the presence of God itself. So I'm not saying I want you to go to work on Monday and have several pieces of paper taped, taped to your face, to your arms, to your head and do things that cause people to think you're nuts. You know, God doesn't want you to act crazy like that. This is something that you're to do. But this is why, again, like in my house or wherever you go, I, it is, that's, I, I like, like I said, the word of God all around the place. I, um, and it can just be a, a wall hanging, I suppose, but I mean, you try to find things that minister to you. And even if you put, I used to always just print out, print out something on a piece of paper from my printer and I just put scriptures out. And, and it all depends. Like I said, when you're in the middle of a real trial is when I surround myself more and more and more because I need to keep this word in front of me. And we're gonna get to that in just a minute too. Now the next point two under Jesus is the word, Hebrews 11:3 says through faith, it's through, well actually I want to make a comment again on point on verse three of chapter John, John chapter one, verse three. Now, I mean, really, really think about this. All things, now all things means all things. Think about that. All things were made by him, without him, and who's him? Him is Jesus, but him is the word of God. Without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, anything that has its existence, I mean, that's good because God's good. Everything God made was good. Anything that has its existence came into being. It came into being through the word of God. Has that ever changed? I mean, has it ever changed? No, it hasn't changed. The word of God will still, again, you go back to the basic understanding of how a virgin named Mary gave birth, she received, remember, God's word, God's truth into her belief system, into the womb of her heart. And that word did what? That word took upon itself flesh. The word becomes flesh. Everybody say that. The word becomes flesh. Think about that. I mean, just really see, meditate on these things. Don't just let it be something that you say and then you, but really take, I mean, this is what you may have to do maybe for two or three days. Just take, see, 
The Bible says in Isaiah 29, Whom shall he make to understand knowledge? Whom shall he teach doctrine? For line is upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little, here little, there little. You might take one precept like that and say, the word becomes flesh. Well, what word am I going to hold on to like a hungry tiger does a piece of red meat? And just understand that if I will just keep this in the womb of my heart, if I will keep this in my mouth, like scripture says, God's word always does what God said it will do. It will never return unto him. It will never be made void or empty or without power ever, ever. It can't. It's God's word. The issue is, will you keep it in the right soil? The issue is, will you watch over it and guard your mouth and make sure that something doesn't abort it? Because that word, which is seed, Mark 4, Jesus said again, you know, this, the word, the sower sows the word. That seed will always reproduce after its own kind as long as it's kept in the soil. Now, I mean, you know, how many times do we have to have that told to us before we understand that we must believe that, or at least we're being asked strongly by heaven to believe that. And then again, making sure we don't allow the wrong seed, the wrong seed to be in our hearts. And so that we start, you know, doing something that's going to create a better crop for our future. I mean, if you've not had a good harvest in the last 10 years of your life, isn't it a good thing to let's start planting seed today for <laughs> for a better harvest, you know, let's start really, really working at this and being a good farmer and watching over this stuff. Now, point three, point C, rather, the leper, God's word is his will. But the leper in Matthew 8, verses 2 and 4 says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt. In other words, this was the question that the leper asked. We've got the two versions out of Mark and out of Matthew. The leper says to Jesus, if thou wilt. In other words, if you will, because that's the question. This is the question throughout all history. Almost nobody in church, listen, almost nobody in the body of Christ, nobody will say they don't believe that God's able to heal. Everybody will say, I know that God is able. Right? I mean, everybody can say yes and amen quickly to that. The issue is not whether or not God is able. The issue is people always say, but I don't know if he's willing. I don't know what his will is. What's his will? I mean, think what's will mean? What's his will, this strength of the word? And then what happens the moment you're challenged with what God's will is, even if you see it in scripture, you have a million things go through your head that says, these are the reasons I'm disqualified. <laughs> I'm a bad person here, I'm a rotten person here, I've made mistakes here, I've done this here, I've done that here, I've done this here, I've done this here, and whatever, you have all these reasonings of the mind that begin to dispute the truth that's supposed to abide in your heart. But again, the question was, let me just read it. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. <laughs> and just watch how the master responds, and Jesus, put forth his hand and touched him saying, yeah, I will, <laughs> I will. In other words, the question was, I don't know if you're willing. I know you're able, I don't know if you're willing. Jesus immediately says, I'm willing. Be thou clean. 
be thou clean. And again, I throw this in all through scripture. Like I said, he never prays for, he speaks to. I will be thou clean. And immediately the man's leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, see that thou tellest no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest and so on. Mark chapter one, verse 40 through 45 says, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, said unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken immediately, leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. I won't read the rest of it. But it said that he beseeched him. I've got down the beseech never and out of vine's dictionary. Beseech never means to beg. He wasn't begging. He was asking. He said, I need to know your will, if you will. And Jesus, I rather the leper was healed the moment Jesus touched him and said, I'm willing. And see, so you got to hear that. You have to be persuaded that he's willing. And that, listen, if he was to count like the psalmist said, even in the Old Testament, if God were to hold our transgressions against us, who could live? So again, you see, at some point, I keep saying it over and over again, and you're going to get so sick of me saying it. You have to get beyond thinking that you have to be perfect for God to move in your life. I mean, I was talking to somebody just the day before yesterday who, who was sharing about, um, who had an out-of-body experience. And uh, they said the same thing that like my spiritual father said to us too, that he had three open visions of Jesus, my spiritual father did. Three flat out open visions where the Lord appeared to him. And I always like, he, and, he, he always, and this always ministered to me when he said it, he said every single time, the Lord appeared to him. He said it was when he least expected it. And he said it was at a moment when he was definitely not feeling super spiritual or anything like that. And he said, it's just that see, most people today feel well, like after a 40 day fast, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to surround myself with all this. But the Lord just loves to bulldoze over what we set up as conditions. <laughs> and if you can just catch this, what I'm trying to say, see, he's looking for you to reach out and touch him with something called faith. Go beyond your feelings. Go beyond your doubts. You've got to get beyond doubt. You've got to run way out there beyond doubt. And remember, doubt comes from a million different things. He was healed when Jesus said, I will. He was healed under the Old Testament vision. Now turn to the next page. Point D, I just said, this is all seed to be planted in your hearts. Is the only way seed can produced is by keeping it in the ground. So the only way that God's imperishable seed can effectually work in us is by its being kept in the midst of our ears. Now, finally, for this session, this hour, now Proverbs 4, 20, 21 is the key to everything in our Christian life. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. If a farmer without any definite promise can have faith in nature, why can't a Christian have faith in the God of nature? Begin to say, begin to confess after you've received the seed, the power of God is working in me mightily. Do you hear me? That's what you need to say. And what I love about that, you know what it says in the Amplified Bible for that verse? And I don't even remember where that verse is right this second. But I love it. The Amplified Bible says that the word of God is all the while at work in them that, that believe. And the Amplified, it says the word of God is all the while at work exercising its superhuman power in those who believe. 
confess that. Begin to speak that. The word of God is working mightily in me today. Hallelujah. Look in the mirror when you get up in the morning and say, the word of God is working mightily in me today. And yeah, you might laugh like I laugh too sometimes. I do. But do it anyhow because it's the truth, not based upon your feelings. So there's three essential things that you find from Proverbs 4, verse 20 and 21. There must be the attentive ear. Listen to these three things. Very simple little thing. There must be the attentive ear, incline that ear. There must be the steadfast look. Let them not depart from thine eyes. There must be the enshrining heart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. If you keep your eyes on the symptoms, you'll be planting seeds of doubt. You'll be trying to raise one kind of crop from another kind of seed. Your symptoms may point you towards death, but God's word points you towards life. You can't look in opposite directions at the same time. You're either looking at one or the other. Don't doubt your faith. Learn to doubt your doubts. I love that saying. Somebody said it years ago. This is what they used to tell us. If you will feed your faith, you will starve your doubts to death. Isn't that a good statement? If you will feed your faith, you will starve your doubts to death. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we just thank you for this session. We trust you that you're helping us, that these things are going deep in our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.